Welcome to New Destiny Christian Center's Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Verdecchio. If you'd like to find more information about our ministry, please visit us online at www.NewDestinyChristianCenter.com. God's doing a good work in your life. Amen. The presence of God is here and it's here strong. We were in prayer this morning. We really felt the presence of God moving. And, uh, you know, God doesn't need you to be in a building in order for His Spirit to move and touch your life. And so that's something that I want you to make sure that you understand. There's no virus, there's no uh, thing that can come, no government come that can stop you from being able to have the presence of the Lord. Amen. You would turn to your Bible. I got a bunch of different scriptures, but the scripture that God's been putting on my heart lately as kind of a theme scripture has been in Matthew 28. In verse 18, the Bible says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the thing that God's been speaking to me over the past few weeks has been that this is what my word says. This is what I expect. It doesn't matter whether there's a shutdown in our country. It doesn't matter that if the government begins to tell us that that we can't meet. It doesn't matter what the situation is. God has spoken in his word that this is what we are responsible for to do in the kingdom of God, in the earth, and we're expected to do it today. So this morning I want to look at three things that I believe are important for us to get and understand in order for us to really begin to move into the presence of God in your life and have an understanding of how do I make Matthew 28 come to life in my life today. So I'm going to look at three different things that I believe that are important for that. And the first one I want to look at is Moses. Now Moses was in a great position to affect the children of Israel. Moses was raised by Pharaoh. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He was a he he had the the power of God, the power of man, the education. He had all the different things within his ability to greatly affect the situation. Right? He had the ability. He was taught in all of Pharaoh's house, and so he had the education, he had all the training, he had everything you needed, he had influence. Don't you know that being raised as a child of Pharaoh gives you a great amount of influence to be able to influence the children of God's situation? But sometimes God has to remove you from the place you think makes sense so he can train you in areas you don't know you need. Let me say that again because it's important. Sometimes God has to remove you from the place that you think makes sense. If I was going to raise up a deliverer for the children of Israel, I would pick Moses when he was in Pharaoh's house. But God had to remove him from that place of influence to put in Moses what Moses was going to need, but he didn't even know that he needed it. See, that says something to our lives. 
Sometimes we, we get ourselves in a place where we, we begin to have influence, we begin to have these things, and we say, I'm now able to be used by God, and then God moves us. And we think, God, I don't understand. I was in a position, I was in a place. See, Moses was pushed away into irrelevance. We tend to think like humans because that's what we are. And sometimes things God does doesn't make sense. Oh, they make sense to us. But then all of a sudden God does something and we say, I don't, I don't understand God. What are you doing? I can't tell you how many times in my life God has done things and I thought, well, that just doesn't work. See, he had to become irrelevant in the world so that God could use him in his hands. Moses had to become irrelevant in the world so that God could use him. See, Moses was as good as dead to the people that mattered. Pharaoh sent him out into the wilderness. Why? Not so he could get a touch from God. But he sent him out in judgment, and he sent him across the desert, never thinking he would survive. That even the children of Israel didn't know that he was alive, didn't know what was happening. See, Moses killed the Egyptian because he wanted to make a difference. And now he was nothing but a shepherd watching his father-in-law's flock. He went from a man of great influence and power, but his anger caused him to sin. It was righteous what he wanted to do, but his sin caused him to be removed and be put into a place of irrelevance. And so you've got Moses, he's on the backside of the desert, and he's walking along watching his father-in-law's sheep. And there he stood in that place, feeling like what he was called to do was now impossible. Because he once had a scepter and an ability to do something, and now all he had was a staff. And he's in a place where his whole influence is just over a bunch of sheep. But all of a sudden we know he had an encounter with God. See, God can show up when you feel like you've blown it and everything is over. All it takes is one moment for God to show up in a place that you never thought was possible. In a place where you maybe even think it, 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 God has forsaken, and yet his presence can come and move. And so Moses is in that place. He wanted to help the people of Israel. He wanted to help his own people. And yet he felt completely lost. And God said to him in that moment's time when the bush was burning and take off your shoes. And he said, Moses, I want you to go and I want you to set my people free. And if Moses was anything like me, and I imagine this is kind of the way he thought because of his training, he probably thought to himself right away, what do I need to set the people of Israel free? Well, an army would be nice. Because you want me, God, to go into the greatest army, the greatest nation at that time, and you want me to take all of their slave labor, and you want me to walk them out of there and let, make them set them free. God, you must be out of your mind. 
So we look back in retrospect and we don't even understand what Moses must have been feeling at that time. So God said, I want you to set my free people free. And basically what Moses said is, well, what if I do if Pharaoh won't listen? In Exodus chapter number 4, starting at the first verse. Then, Ma- then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. And the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it. And he reached out his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So Moses is sitting there, and God tells him, go set my people free. He doesn't know how to do it. And he says, God, what if they won't listen to me? And God said to him, what do you got in your hand? A stick. All he had in his hand was a staff. And God said, that's all you need. See, what is in your hand is more powerful with God than all the things on your list that you think you need in order to reach a nation. What you hold in your hand currently is all God needs. I've been in prayer and I've been seeking God and saying, God, what is it going to take to reach this part of the country? Why is it so difficult, God, for churches that believe in the power and the anointing of God, that churches that believe in the anointing that breaks the yoke, that deliverance can take place, God, what is it going to take to break the spirit of religion in the northeast part of this country, God, to where you move and you break through? And we think it's all the things that we don't have. And God says, all you need is what I've given you. All you need is what you have right now. But it's so easy to think we need more. God said to Moses, Moses, throw that stick on the ground and see what I can do with it. Because what's in your hand has the power of God behind it. And yet for some reason when we talk and we talk about winning the the world and winning people, we have that list in our head of all the things we have to have. For some churches, it's a building. For many years, that's what it was with me. Well, I got to have a building. I got to have uh, some way to be able to reach people. They have to have somewhere to go. God says, You don't need anything that you don't have. All you need is what you have right now. Because if you need it, God will give it to you. See, that's what faith is about. Faith is about stepping out into the will of God and doing what God called you to do with what you have right now and whatever you need, He will bring you when you need it. That's why in the New Testament it said you'll be brought before kings. And don't worry about what you're supposed to say. People say, well, i gotta, I got to feel the anointing. i gotta, I got to know that God is with me before I stand up. And, the, and, and, and through the, the, the apostle it said, don't even worry about it. And so when you stand up, you'll have what you need. God will give it to you. 
See, the first question is, what do you have in your hand right now? It's time to use what God has given you in this season. Because God's not waiting to win this part of the country. He's not waiting for the virus to go away. He's not waiting for them to lift the restrictions on churches. He's not waiting for the governor to hear his voice so that things begin to change. He's not waiting for people to begin to flood a building. He says, right now, what is in your hands, if you will take it, then I will move. My question for you this morning is, what, in your hand, what is in your hands? Begin to use it and let God begin to move. And remember, you know, sometimes we think that, oh, he had a, a staff in his hands and all. He, he must have taken it like he was some kind of a ninja. But it was God that literally, when he parted the Red Sea, all he did was lift that staff up. And God parted the Red Sea. Second thing that I want to look at, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter number 19. I want to look at the life of Elisha. The life of Elisha. See, it cost Elisha a lot to follow his leader. It cost him a lot. It says in 1 Kings 19, starting at the 19th verse. So he departed from there, talking about Elijah, and found Elisha, the son of Saphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I'll follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done, with, what have I done to you? Verse 21, so Elisha turned back from him, and he took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh, using the, oxen's, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. See, Elisha understood that if he was going to follow Elijah, he had to burn all of his bridges. Now, this doesn't go over in... 2020 in America today. But most of the Bible doesn't. Elijah went by and threw his mantle on him and said, no, I didn't say just threw his mantle on him. And Elisha said, hey, I got to go say goodbye to my parents. But when he did, he went back and took 12 yoke of oxen, slaughtered them all, took the equipment that was there and used it to have a big feast and gave it to the people. And then he walked away. See, you will never, ever take the cost out of serving God. Ever. It's there for a reason. He had to leave those he loved. He said, let me go kiss my mother and my father because I may never see them again. He understood the commitment that he was about to make. I can remember when I was 21 years old. 
And I visited Colorado, and I visited my brother, and I got saved. I gave my life to the Lord. And I'll never forget, I didn't know anything about God, hardly. I, I really didn't, wasn't raised that much in church. There wasn't all kinds of understanding that was there. But I knew that I knew that I knew God wanted to do something in my life, that all of a sudden my life had changed. And I remember I flew back home, and I, I, I went to my mom and my dad, and I said, I feel like I need to move to Denver. I've got to get out of here. i got to go because God wants me to serve him. And I remember on my birthday telling my mother goodbye and moving 1,900 miles away. I know that feeling, but I also knew that God wanted to do something. See, in order for Elisha to get what he needed from Elijah, he had to become a servant. See, in the day of volunteers, God's still looking for a few servants. I, I went through a teaching the other day, and I was going through this whole teaching. It was talking about volunteers and leaders and all these kind of things. And, and where all that stuff's relevant, I get it. But, you know, it's a lot easier to say to somebody, we want you to volunteer to help. But there's a difference in the Bible because it uses the word servant. And a servant says, God, I'll do anything you tell me to do. I'll do whatever is needed, whether I want to or not. And that's a whole nother level. Because a servant doesn't get to choose what he likes. It says in Matthew, chapter number 8, verses 19 and 20, And a certain scribe came and said to him, talking about Jesus, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, he was saying, if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you a lot more than you understand. See, in this society today, we want to bring everybody together and tell them how cute they are and how wonderful they are and how God wants to bless them and how God wants to do this and how God wants to do that. And those things are true. But I'm here to tell you there is something about a servant that when Elijah decided to follow Elijah, it cost him everything. And in today's church world, we don't want anybody to know that it costs anything to serve God. We don't want them to think, oh, God forbid that we tell them that you're supposed to die. But that's what the Bible says. And so we're convincing people to follow Jesus because of the benefit package. And we wonder why we have a church that is anemic. We wonder why the church of America today doesn't have the power to influence the world like it once did. There used to be a day when the missionaries would go to the foreign countries and they were willing to lay themselves down and die for the cause of Christ. Now we tell our Christian college students, why don't you go over to this nation and we send them over there and it's not much more than a vacation. God wants us to lay our lives down. Elisha was a servant. Servants don't get to vote on what they like and what they don't like. There were a lot of things that happened that Elisha didn't get to vote on. But he had to do it. Why? Because his leader said. See, when Jesus sent them to get the donkey... I could just picture this, 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 this. I want to see this as it plays out in heaven. I, I, 
I always say this just about every Easter. Uh, you know, here, here, here come the servants, and Jesus says, hey, go to the town next door over there, and you're going to find a donkey. Untie it. Steal it. Bring it to me. Don't worry about what they say. If they say anything, just tell them this, the master needs it. In my head the whole time would be going, uh, you know, I sure hope nobody says anything. I'd probably be like, you know what, Lord, why don't I stay here and help them fix some stuff up? Send this other guy over there. But they don't get to vote. See, you don't get to vote in the kingdom. Sometimes the lesson that a servant learns from his teacher is harsh. And that's in the world. That's in Christianity. And we don't like that. Uh, you know, we all want people to like us, but, but sometimes a, a, a word of correction or a direction or those kind of things don't always come across as nice. I can remember, you know, I, I was raised up in the construction field. My dad was a bricklayer, and so I was brought up in all that construction field. And, you know, it, it used to be the construction workers weren't real nice. When I first started working for my dad and, and uh, you know, do, doing... Uh, I was mixing cement and digging holes. And I remember those guys that began to teach me stuff, they weren't always nice. And they didn't always smile. And they weren't always happy. I'm 16 years old. I'm mixing cement. And I'll never forget, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just learning. And all of a sudden, the boss begins to yell, Hey! And I'm in a house over here, and he's over across the street, and he's yelling at me. I went over there, and he began to just rip me upside one side, down the other. I can't believe you let this, all this cement's hard. It's not any good anymore. And he's screaming at me and yelling at me. And I'm thinking to myself, huh? it wasn't fun. And he never apologized. He didn't come back to me later in the day say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have responded that way. But you know what never happened again? I never let cement get into that condition again. Why? Because somebody was bold enough to tell me, this is how it has to be. And your feelings are irrelevant. See, we're all supposed to be servants. I think of John 6, 66. Just remember, John 6, 66 is a sign of man, the number of man. Jesus told him, he said, from this time, he was talking about the cross, he was talking about the hardships and the difficulties. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. See, when you begin to talk about a price, those that just want the benefit package walk away. And that's why the church stopped preaching about a price. Because they didn't want anyone to leave. And it's a sad day. Because gathering crowds is never what Jesus said to do. He said preach the gospel and make disciples. So he begins to talk about the price, and it says that many of them left. And then Jesus, in verse number 67, it said, Then Jesus turned to the twelve. He turned to the ones who left everything to follow. 
He turned the ones who paid the biggest price. He turned to the ones who, who had done everything that he called them to do. And he looked at them and he said, do you also want to go away? See, sometimes God looks at you and he says, do you want this or not? Because it's going to cost you everything. So Elisha, he's minding his own business and all of a sudden, here comes Elijah and he throws a mantle on him. Now mantle was basically, it represented the power and I thought if I'm going to have a mantle that represents power, I'm going to have this. Right, because we know there's power with the eagles. Anyway, so he walked by and he had the mantle and he had thrown it on him, and then Elisha decided to follow. Now this is interesting. It wasn't until the day that Elijah was taken up that he asked Elisha what he wanted. So in other words, Elisha lays down everything. He becomes a servant. He leaves his livelihood. He leaves his family. He's following Elijah. And it wasn't until the last day that Elijah said, Elijah, what do you want? See, to a servant, what you want's irrelevant. It was a hard word. But it's one that I had to live the hard way. So 2 Kings chapter number 2, verses 8 through 14, the Bible says, Now Elijah took his man on, he rolled it up, and he struck the water, and it divided this way from that, that the two of them might cross over. So they're, they're there, it's, the, it, it, it's, it's, it's right at the end, and Elijah, he walks up to the River Jordan, and it's flowing, it's got all the water, and Elijah takes off the mantle, and it said that he struck the water. And when he struck the water, it parted this way from that. The water stopped, and it said that in verse number 9, And so it was that they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. After all this time of following and serving him, Elisha said, I want what you have, but I want twice as much of it. He said, I, my desire is to do what you do. See, servants, they're serving. It's not that there's no desire that's there, but they're serving to get something. But that something's in the future. He said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. In other words, he didn't say everything that you've already done is enough. He said, this is what you have to do. And if you do it, you'll get it. But if you don't, sorry, you don't get it. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire 
and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by the whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them into two pieces. And he took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. And he went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. And he struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, it was divided this way from that. And Elisha crossed over. See, Elisha had, had his leader's mantle in his hands. So all of a sudden they're walking along. The chariot of heaven comes, the fire, the whirlwind is there. Elijah begins to be taken up, and the mantle falls. Now, I love this. The mantle falls. The mantle didn't fall and just land on his shoulders. When Elisha saw it, he began to cry out. But that mantle didn't fall onto his shoulders. Elisha had to reach down. And he had to pick it up. See, you have to pick up the anointing of your leaders. It's not just given to you because you're cute and because you follow. You have to reach down and pick it up. You have to learn to use what is given you by past and current leaders. See, sometimes we don't always like the way things turned out. Sometimes we don't like the way situations in past churches played out in our lives. I know that there are people that are watching me today, that there are times that you've been in ministries and you've been in churches and you say that wasn't right, it wasn't what it was supposed to be, and you've been burned and you've been hurt and it's been horrible and it takes time and it takes healing, but I'm here to tell you that there is something that dropped even in that place that if you can pick up what God wanted you to get, you got to reach down and pick it up. Sometimes there's disappointment in what happened. See, but if you were sent to follow a leader, then they left a deposit. They left something for you to be able to get. And it said Elisha, when he took that mantle, he realized what he had. See, you have to take what was given to you from the leaders that have been in your life over the years and you have to pick up that mantle that they left and you have to walk up to the edge of that Jordan and like Elijah said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he struck that, the water parted. And Elisha understood that what was left by Elijah, what he picked up from Elijah's life, is all he needed to turn the world. And Elisha saw twice the miracles that Elijah saw. Elijah was one of the greatest prophets that ever walked the earth. And Elisha got the double portion because he picked up the mantle. See, if we're going to win the world, we need to use what's in our hands. We need to pick up the mantle that's been left to us by past leaders. 
and current leaders. Because God wants us to win the world and stop making excuses. The last thing that I want to look at is Jesus asked his disciples. He said, who do men say that I am? So they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. I could picture Jesus asking him this, and they begin to puff up. Well, this is we took a poll, Lord, and this is what we got. We asked everybody who you are, and they all said these different things. And Jesus looked at him and said, you know, it really doesn't matter what they say. Who do you say that I am? See, the question, the most important question on our lives isn't who everybody else says Jesus is. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. The question is, who do you say that I am? Peter, Simon Peter. In Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. I could picture all of a sudden he, he blurts this thing out. It was such a revelation. And Jesus said in verse 17, And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, he had a revelation of who Jesus is. He knew Jesus the man. But just like that, everything changed. See, you can hang around Jesus, and you can hang around Jesus' kids and still not know who he is. You can come to church every week. You can watch five videos this Sunday of all the preachers around the earth and not know who Jesus is. Because it's a revelation. But in that moment, everything changes. Everything just all of a sudden, there's an enlightenment. I got it. It makes sense. That's why we like people to hang around. There's people that come to this church just like any other church that you know they are not born again. You look at them and you think, oh, God, get them, get them, God. They come every week. They want to volunteer. They want to do all this stuff. And you know they're good people, but they just don't have it. And we love people like that that come. Fill this house with them. Why? Because in one moment of God's presence, he can speak to them. And all of a sudden, their eyes are open, and it's like, wow, now I get it. Verse number 18, Peter goes on and he says, I also say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. See, without the revelation of who Jesus is, you better not go storming hell's gates. Because if you don't have a revelation of who Jesus is, you're nothing more than a community group that's trying to do good. But the gates of hell will tear you apart. But once you get that revelation, once you know who Jesus is, and it doesn't matter the devil that's in front of you, it doesn't matter the principalities and the powers, you'll push, you'll press because you know who Jesus is and you know what he's called you to do. In verse number 19, it says, And I'll give you the king keys to the kingdom of heaven. 
And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. See, true power is released into your hands when you have the revelation of who Jesus is. It's all based around that revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good guy. He's not just one of many. He is the only one. There's no other way to get to heaven but by him. Muhammad will send you to hell. Buddhism will send you to hell. Hare Krishna will send you to hell. Atheism will send you to hell. Only through Jesus and his, his blood can you make it. Jesus in Luke chapter number 9, verse number 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross and let him follow me. See, we have to have the staff. We have to have the mantle of what we learned. But if we don't have the cross of Calvary in our hands, if we're not carrying the cross of Christ, if this isn't the central thing in our lives, if we're not real willing to get up upon that cross with Jesus and lay our lives down with him, if we're not willing to lay our lives down to the point where it costs us everything, somewhere along the line we begin to preach a gospel without a cross. Jesus didn't say, pick up, just, just, just let me do the cross. He said, I want you to go. He said, you got the revelation. You understand what I'm doing in your life. He said, but you have to pick up the cross. You have to have the cross of Jesus in your hands and walk with it everywhere you go. You have to, price, you have to preach Christ crucified all the time. You have to be willing to go out into the streets, into the workplace, into the marketplace, and preach the cross of Jesus. Not just that he loves people, not just that he's going to be good to them, not just that he's going to bless them, not just that he's going to heal them, but you've got to preach the cross of Christ and be willing to put yourself on that cross because they don't listen to just the benefits. They listen to someone who sacrifices their lives for someone else. See, without sacrifice... Without carrying the cross of Christ in our life, I'm not saying you got to tell other people to get on there. You got to get on there. You got to be willing to lay your life down. See, does it cost you to, to follow Christ? Why are we not winning souls the way we need to? Because we're afraid of this. We get saved and we're told the benefit package and we're told all the wonderful things and they're true and they're great and I love that God blesses us and I love that God heals us and I love that God delivers us and I'm never going to preach against those things. They're so powerful. They're so awesome. But ultimately, somewhere along the line, God says, pick this up. And the problem is you get healed, you get delivered, you get saved, you get set free and then he tells you to get on the cross and die. But nobody wants to follow someone who's not willing to sacrifice, who's not willing to give their life. When I read the Bible, I, I, I read of the apostles, the 12 apostles, they all died martyrs' deaths except for John. 
And John was boiled in oil and sent out to the island of Patmos where he got the revelation of Christ. And they turned the whole world upside down. I heard a guy the other day that said he was talking about China and when China closed many years ago to communism, they said they had made an estimate of how many believers there were in China. There were, you know, so many thousands of believers. And after 25 years of hard communism where China was completely closed, the doors begin to open and they went back into China and they didn't know if they would find any believers and he said they were, they were amazed because not only did Christianity survive but it thrived in the midst of persecution because people understood who Jesus was and they said I'm not afraid of the cross anymore I'll lay my life down See, if somebody sees you lay yourself down for the gospel's sake, they want to follow that. They want to follow somebody who says, I'll pay every cost, every price, I'll do whatever it takes. We've got nations around the world that are untouched because nobody will pick up their cross. Nobody will be willing to go. We live in a, in a city of... of, 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 of Six million people in this area, in the Philadelphia region. And yet it's hard to get people to come to the Northeast. Why is it hard to get them? Because it's harder to get people saved here. Somebody told me years ago that, 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 that sending churches, they planted churches all over the world, all over the country, and they said it was so hard to plant churches in the Northeast. It was harder to send them to the Northeast than it was to send them to Africa. Because in Africa, people would respond, but here people were harder and it was more difficult. And so as Christians, what do we say? Well, I don't want to get on there for their sake. I want to go somewhere where there's lots of Christians. Send me to Dallas, where every corner has a church that will hold 5,000 people. Send me to the south, where everybody loves Jesus. Don't send me to the northeast, where they'll spit in my face. Where they'll cuss me out because I tell them that Jesus died on the cross for them. There's a hardness that's there. But there's such a joy when you're doing what God has called you to do. And boy, I'll tell you something. When you get somebody saved, they curse God, they mock God, they hate God. But when they get saved, they love God with such a vengeance, such a passion, such an excitement. There's no greater place to serve God than where they hate Him. Because when you win Him, they get a revelation of who Jesus is. See, my question is, what's in your hands? You need to use what's in your hands today. You need to pick up the mantle that has been placed on you and the things that you've learned and begin to use them. But most of all, you need to be willing to get on that and lay your life down and sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Because there's a world out there that is looking for something that is greater than just a nice little meeting. God wants to use us. It's about what's in your hand. It's about what you've been given. And it's about the cross.
Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor David Verdecchio of New Destiny Christian Center. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at www.newdestinychristiancenter.com.